welcome to episode 6 of Popper's Cage. My name is Gabo, and I'll be one of your hosts. On the line with me are Dime Collector. Hello, Dime. Hello, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I'm very excited today. On another line, we've got Love. Hello, everybody. Hey, uh, how are things on your side? Things are just fine. Okay. Um, so... Today, we also have a very special guest. He's known as New Plan on MTGO, and he's famous for taking down the proper dailies with his build of Mono Blue Control. Uh, his name is John. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well. It's uh, uh, great to hear. Um, I think, uh, to start with, uh, we should let the listeners get a little bit more intimate with you. So, when did you start, how and when did you start playing magic you know oh I, I i would say probably the first pack of magic i opened was uh was a pack of revised when i was a young when i was a youngster and uh that would be how i started and i played and i played constructed i think i would say i, I peaked then at, at ice age block constructed was probably my favorite format i went to a uh i top aided a, a ptq but uh and then soon after that, I dropped out and I quit Magic for about, I'd say, 10, 15 years in between then. And then I picked it up uh, with MTGO uh, in the last year or so and immediately actually found Popper as, as one of the first things, one of the first formats I found online. Oh, wow. So did you uh, exclusively play um, Popper? Um, I play some standard, and obviously, as as I think almost everyone who plays online does, I play limited. I uh, I played four four pack sealed for a long time, and I played draft. Um, yeah, I, I actually I, I drafted scars quite a bit when it was out, and I, I really I really feel like that format could have been fantastic. Um, but I dislike Infect a lot <laughs> as a mechanic in there, and I think that the format would have been great if it weren't for Infect. But you know. You take the good with the bad. Yeah, I know a lot of people who hate Infect. Yeah. Uh, um, so, other than than Mono Blue Control, which is, I, I, I guess, your your archetype of choice, are there any other archetypes you enjoy playing? Well, I've actually, I've probably played, I would say, every major archetype in in Popper, with the exception of with the exception of any of the post decks. I've played Affinity. I've played White Weenie. I've played, um, let's see, what else? I played Infect. I've I haven't played Goblins, um, and I've played mid range blue black, and I've played uh, I've played I played Turbo Fog in an event or two. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've played. I've I've tried to play basically everything live just to get a feel for everything and see what it looks like from both sides of the screen. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. because that really helps when it comes to playing blue, because you need to know what they want to do and you need to know what you want to stop them from doing. That that is an excellent point. I played Delver as well for a while before it got before it got tremendously popular. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you played it before it was mainstream, then? I yeah, I I was the hipster Delver player. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, well I think we are ready to just go straight into mono blue control. Let's start with just uh, just a basic overview of the deck. So how would you summarize uh, the way this deck works? Um, overview: survive the game. 
uh, for until you can burn him out, w- burn out his threats, uh, and then have your card draw take it, take over the game by having a threat and having more counters than he has cards left. That's the ideal way to win the game. Yeah. That is the overview and the the thousand foot summary, and then how to get there is the question in every game. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I'd like us to to differentiate between what how this build works and how the tempo delver works, because there there are a lot of cards in common, and in in threads you often see people referring to uh, the, those more aggressive uh, delver and fairy builds as mono blue control. So let's let's stop that and make it clear uh, what what the differences are. Sure, uh, I think I think if you look at it, the usual way of of building a mono blue control deck and versus and building a delver deck, they usually have eight cards that are guaranteed to be in common, which is four delver secrets and four counter spells, and then on top of that, they'll have somewhere between three or three or so cards that are in common for card selection. But then other than that, the toolkit in Mono Blue Control is completely different. Uh, it runs more counters. It actually runs card draw that isn't Gush, because Gush, although it's very good and can be cast for free mono-wise, um, that's not your restriction uh, for Mono Blue Control. For Mono Blue Control, your restriction is you want to develop your board. So Mono Blue Control runs accumulated knowledge. Um, You'll run serrated arrows in the main... Actually, spire golems. You'll run a full set of four. They'll run maybe three because they don't want to get too many of them in their opening hand. Uh, You'll run serrated arrows in the main deck. They won't run piracy charms. You will because you need... You need them to deal with the aggressive decks. They won't run quicksands. You will run quicksands. Uh, They won't run main... They will run main deck bounce, but their main deck bounce will be snap. Delver will use a bounce spell like a snap so that he can get in with a ninja one more time so he can get an additional card. So it'll be a cantrip and two damage and and forcing your tempo back. He's all about preserving his superior board position in the early game because the other player is constrained on mana. Your Your position in mana blue control is all about preserving your life total early as much as you can and then using a superior a superior array of late game spells to win the game okay so so i guess that that should clear it up for most people the the differences um let's well if there are no other uh questions at this point let's go straight into looking at uh some of the cards that make up uh, the core of this deck. And I've got some questions about some of the card choices. Sure, sure. Uh, that, yeah. yeah, I'd love to answer questions uh, about that. The way, I, the way I look at it, the cards are grouped into about five, uh, exactly five groups of things that you want cards in your deck to do. And the first is you've got card drawing or, or card selection engines. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got You've got your threats because you need to play. You need to win the game somehow. So yeah. you've got threats and you've got blockers. Um, you've got removal. Uh, every, every deck needs to remove things because you're not going to be able to counter everything. And then you have counter magic. Yeah. And your your last your last category is bounce, which okay. is the thing that's basically unique to blue. No yeah. other color really bounces things. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, I think the first one you said was card draw. Yes, card draw. Okay, let's start there. 
I'm actually kind of curious when when you sit down and you say to yourself, you know, I want to play a control deck and I want to take this to daily events and stuff. Where do you even begin? Do you begin with looking at card draw, or is there something that 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 you want to focus on at at the base level before you even can uh, say, oh, this is a deck that I think is playable? You really have to sort of put it together and come up with an overall plan, and your cards in one category have to mesh with your cards in another category. Like, all right, I'll give you an example. Accumulated knowledge versus think twice, right? Okay. They're, they're, all, they're both two mana. They're instants. Uh, the question is, when do you want to use accumulated knowledge and when do you want to use think twice? You can pick either one, and then once you pick one, you then your deck has strengths and weaknesses based upon the fact that you picked one over the other. Accumulated knowledge never will cost you five mana. It only costs you two mana ever. Uh, accumulated knowledge is better in the long game because the fourth accumulated knowledge is draw four cards at instant speed for two mana. Think twice is a little bit weaker to aggressive decks because you have to spend five mana to get two cards. Uh, whereas accumulated knowledge is only the first one is weak, and then the second one and the third one and the fourth one are all fantastic. Uh, so, so if you pick one over the other, if you pick, let's say, think twice, you say, all right, well, I've made my choice. I'm now slightly weaker to aggressive decks. So to make up for the fact that I'm slightly weaker to aggressive decks, maybe I will put in some force spikes, where force spikes are not very good against control decks. So I kind of try to put put it together in a synergistic hole for my deck. And you can see Paul Denton has his, his build, and he puts a synergistic hole together that's very much geared towards killing aggressive decks. And and then the other, in, in, that, in that same vein, there's Ponder versus Preordain. And Ponder versus Preordain is another question. And, and, and there's, there's pros and cons for Ponder and Preordain. But the big one to me is that Ponder allows you to see deeper. And if you're seeing deeper, you can dig for a, a silver bullet card. And a silver bullet card means you can run one serrated arrows in your deck and maybe have a reasonable chance at seeing it in a game. It means that you can run Echoing Truth and when you face a storm player, you've actually got a chance at getting your echoing truth, even if it wasn't in your opening hand. So you, you've got a defense against Empty of the Warrens then. We actually had a discussion about preordain versus ponder, uh, in our last podcast, which was about the blue red, uh, storm deck, but the blue red storm deck plays both usually. Yes. Both, yes. both ponder and preordain. So we were discussing the order in which we play them. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Um, what, yeah. what would I? I would probably say you would play Ponder first, hmm. and then we, play Preordain. We came to the conclusion that it depends on what you want to find. If you just want to find one card, say one missing piece of the combo, you use Ponder first since it digs deeper. But I was thinking generally when you want to, if you play Ponder first, then you pick. You can pick one of the next three cards to draw, and then you pick that one card. And then if you really don't like the other two, you get all the advantages of preordain, just get rid of those two cards. Yeah. So ponder true. ponder into preordain, I think, would sound like it would always be optimal. We've made the calculation that if if you're looking for just one card, uh, playing preordain first, getting getting rid of the two cards that, that were there because they weren't the card you wanted, and then playing ponder, and then if you didn't find the card again, then you reef shuffle, and that gives you the, the, the biggest reach. When I'm thinking about it right now is uh, ponder first or preordain first. When you're searching for a specific card, uh, ends up with, for, with the equal amount of cards, I think. 
You play a ponder first. The top two cards are not the ones you want. You put them on the bottom, you draw a card, that's three cards. And then if the card you drew wasn't the card you wanted, then you play a ponder, check the top three, and then you don't want them, you shuffle away, and that's seven. Because you draw uh, uh, the fourth from ponder. Yeah, and if you do it the other way around, it's the same math. But there's one as difference. As you said, if you play ponder first, and you see one card you want... But if you're just searching for one specific card, the order is irrelevant. I think. No, you know what? I think you guys' conclusion is correct because I think if you look at it, if you look at it this way, you're drawing, you're drawing, if you're just drawing to it, you have six chances to draw one card out of your deck without, without shuffling, before you shuffle your library. Yeah. So six non-shuffle draws followed by one, one draw where let's say you've got 40 cards left in your library. So the first one is, uh, one in forty, and then the second one is is one in thirty nine, and then the second one is one in thirty eight, thirty seven, thirty six, thirty five, um, and then if you want to figure out the odds of drawing the card, you you subtract from one each one, and then you multiply them. Um, but if you if you shuffle first, then your odds get reset to one in forty. Exactly. So you want to shuffle last. Just a quick question. While this is on the side, uh, John, do you play poker by any chance? Uh, a little bit, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, I've taken actuarial exams, and and sort of probable probabilism is is, is sort of my thing. <laughs> oh right, yeah. You sound yeah. just like a poker player, so you just have to. Ask. <laughs> yeah, that's well. You know, they they they've got money riding on on doing correct probability calculations. So, how do you come to the number of card draw spells in your deck total? Because I noticed that I think Paul Denton has a little bit more card draw overall. And he also has the uh, card that I think is really good, Una's Grace, which can act as card draw in a bind when you're you're top decking lands in the late game. No, that's a that's a very good question. Okay, I I I have gone back and forth on Una's Grace, and I've put it in and I've taken it out. And my latest build as of right now, I have Una's Grace out, and I have it replaced with I have Repeal in my deck, which is a cantrip. Um, but the reason I do that is because. I want to be playing all of my lands because I've got the Silkbind Fairy, Viridian Longbow combo. So I get value. I want. I wanted to have a deck that said I want to get marginal value out of every single land I play. That makes total sense. Yeah, you want to have more lands because of that specific combo in your in your build. Right, and I actually run more lands than Paul Denton does as well. Uh, Paul Denton, I think he runs t- either twenty two or twenty three, and I run twenty four. Okay. Yeah, that makes 24, sense. 24 lands in a pauper deck is a lot. Well, four of them are quicksand. Yeah, that, that's really yeah, a removal show. Still. Um, there is one land I, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, well, actually, two lands. Uh, Halimar Depths and Lonely Sandbar. I don't th- you, you don't use any... I don't use lands. either. I don't use either of those. Um, Halimar Depths, I think, is 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 valuable. But again, like I said, one of the uh, one of the card draw spells you can play is Treasure Hunt, and not surprisingly, because they're from the same block. If you want to play Treasure Hunt, you can play Halimar Depths, because then you can rearrange your library so the Treasure Hunt becomes two mana, draw three cards. If you have if you have the right arrangement of lands, but the disadvantage with playing the the functional lands is that uh, if you get them in the early game, you're you're very much under pressure. And so, if you play a turn one Halimar Depths, that's not good for you at all mm-hmm. because then you don't have any any way to do anything on his turn. Um, and the second thing is they don't count towards Spire Golem mana. Yeah. So 
So you really, really want to be able to, depending on the situation, play a turn three Spire Golem or a turn four Spire Golem. It seems to me a little bit that um, the blue cycling land fill a little bit the same role as Una's Grace-ish. And yeah, well, let's, Una's, Una's Grace in effect turns all of your all of your lands into cycle lands. Yeah, yeah. I have a question about Una's Grace. Uh, I don't know you don't play it, and you said that Paul Denton's build was more geared towards beating aggro. Yes. Uh, but I feel Una's Grace is very much uh, against control card. Is that some sort of balance he achieved yes. then? Or is... Yes, yes. I think that Una's Grace is much more of an anti-control card, and it's much more of a you-get-more-gas-as-the-game-goes-on card, and so therefore the advantage of it comes in the late game. Um, so I think that he does that to cover up his weakness against control, because against control, he's got, I think, I think he's got – I know he runs force-rated arrows, and I believe he runs at least one um, at least one Curse of Chains in the main deck. Yes, he does. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's heavy disruption against aggro. That, that is heavy disruption against aggro, and so as a result, if you think about it, that's six, that's six cards that are dead – or four, five cards that are dead draws against control decks. So – I mean, I try to avoid having as many cards as possible be dead draws against anything. Okay, I guess we're ready to go into the next group. Sure. Uh, threats and blockers. All right. All right. Uh, the the big one and, and, and the one that revolutionizes blue is is the Delver, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Spire Golem, uh, a card that I think is criminally underplayed and should definitely see play somewhere, but I can't quite fit it in, and I've, I've sideboarded it before. Uh, Halimar Wave Watch. Um, I'm unfamiliar with that one. What does the uh, Halimar Waywatch? It's a zero three for one in blue, and it levels up for two mana, and level it up one time, and it becomes a zero six, and level it up five times, and it's a six six Island Walker. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember him. Now he's very difficult for red to deal with, and he's a very good blocker. Uh, so you know, I think that there's got to be a place somewhere, somewhere for him. But in all honesty, I haven't found the deck for him yet. So, uh, yeah. So, well, I just thought I'd, I'd give him a mention. The Silkbind Fairy, the card that only I play. Silkbind Fairy is a card is a very unusual card in that it's uh, it's two and a hybrid blue white mana, so it, it counts as a blue white card for things that care about. Uh, Things that are protection from white are protected from it, and things that are protected from blue are protected from it. But the Guardian of the Guild Pact, which is protection from monocolored, is vulnerable to being tapped down by a Silkbind Fairy. Mm-hmm. A Silkbind Fairy has the has flying. It's one three, and it has the ability for one and a, a hybrid blue white mana and untap. It can tap a target creature, so it can attack, and then once it's tapped, it can tap a creature on the other side. So that's the Silkbind Fairy. So if you think about it, it combos very well with Viridian Longbow because the Viridian Longbow taps to do a point of damage. And then you can simply untap the Silkbind Fairy targeting anything. And if Silkbind Fairy is the only creature on the board, you can target the Silkbind Fairy but hit control when you do it. And that way you don't pass priority. And then you get as many times as you have two mana to untap it, you can do a point of damage to any target. Uh, how often do you feel that the two mana of untapping instead of one is a problem? Well, I don't like to play the Silkbind Fairies when I have three. I only play a Silkbind Fairy when I'm constrained on mana uh, if I'm in trouble. 
right? I mean, I won't drop. I will try not to drop a three mana Silkbind Fairy with my only three mana. I'll try to drop a Silkbind Fairy once I get to about five lands because I want to be able to have a counter spell up because it really is. It's a win condition. It's a it's a great way to protect uh, to protect things. But it would be better if it could tap for one. But there isn't anything that taps for one that I like. <laughs> I mean, it flies. I'll, I'll take the flyer and the three toughness over over the cheaper tapping of. I think there's a tapper for blue, that uh, that's cheaper than this. That taps sure. are cheaper. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just going to mention that the three toughness sounds like a big problem for goblins, especially. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it blocks. The idea is if you if you have you can have a board state against goblins later in the game where you have a huge amount of virtual card advantage, right? Imagine this: he's got a Mog Flunkies on the board and a, um, a cohort, right? So he's got a two-two and a three-three on the board. Now the cohort can only attack if he casts a creature spell. The Flunkies can only attack if they don't attack alone. So if he if he casts it, so you don't have to do anything actually if he doesn't cast a creature spell. But if he casts a creature spell, all you have to do is tap down the flunk. You tap down the cohort, and then the flunkies can't attack. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, and I, then, yeah. I was going to say that I think uh, that this deck has a very good matchup against goblins in general. It, it does if you don't get overrun in the beginning of the game. But <laughs> yeah. I and and I've kind of added the repeals, and I, I hope that they'll 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 sh- help shore up the uh, the overrun aspect. But yeah, if you don't get overrun, you you will always you will win if the game goes long. Yeah, yeah. That's that, not uh, that's not strictly true because they have reach and they have bolts and they can do direct damage to you, and and then you need counter spells to to handle that. So it's not per- it's not a perfect matchup, but it's a good matchup. Yeah, but goblins hasn't been played a lot recently. I've noticed. Uh, yeah, I have not faced a lot of goblins lately. I keep a uh, I keep a little spreadsheet of all my matchups and and things I've been facing. And uh, yeah, I have not faced goblins in a while, actually. Yeah, I haven't faced goblins in any of the last four dailies that I've played in. I faced That's goblins quite... once. That's a lot. Yeah. 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 So. Um, and then where was I on the uh, on the blockers? Uh, Calcite Snapper. Calcite Snapper is a blue, blue, and one for a one-four shroud creature um, that lets you flip its power and toughness when you have landfall. Yeah. So you can make it a four-one if you drop a land. Uh, so that's a that's a good blocker as well. And then actually a card that I kind of forgot about when I was writing up my list is Seagate Oracle. Mm-hmm. And I've had this in versions of the deck as well, but uh, and, and, and a lot of post decks run Seagate Oracle. Seagate Oracle is a 1-3 body. It gets in the way, and when it comes into it, it can trips and gives you card selection at the same time. So a lot of decks can run that profitably if they have room for it. And I was going to ask uh, about Muldrifter. I think it used to be used in Mono Blue Control, but I don't see it anymore. Is it because it's just too expensive? It's, I find it very expensive. <clears throat> Uh, and you don't really need the – it used to serve two purposes. And if you look at – I think if you look at uh, Blue-Red Post, you see Muldrifter at, really at its best because Muldrifter in Blue-Red Post is a blocker. And if, if you don't have any way to answer it it's, a, it, it's a win condition for them and it draws them cards. But the nice thing about Blue-Red Post is they're not constrained on mana. So yeah. they can pay five 
and tap out, and then if you drop a threat, they can remove the threat. And if you remove their Muldrifter, it's not a big deal to them because they got two cards out of it plus the removal spell out of your hand. So it, it really – it's a very, very good card, but I, I really feel like it fits a different deck better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were uh, just continue with the finishers, I guess. Um, yeah, and that's that's uh, that I think is it for for really reliable, good quality finishers. I mean, I've seen I've seen people run Shimmering Glass Kite, which I think is a nice which is a nice uh, finisher, but um, it's it's not a, not not one that gets run very often because it's expensive. It's it's three mana and a blue for a two three flyer that. If you target it for the first time in a turn with a spell or ability, that spell or ability is countered. So it sort of has its own built-in protection. But I don't think that that's the best. I don't think that's the best of cards to run. Um, and then there's a card that I run in my sideboard, which is Stormbound Geist, yeah. which I think is very, very good. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a for one blue for for two blue and one, so three three total mana. It uh, it's a flying two two that has undying. So it has built-in protection slash card advantage, and it actually gets bigger. And the nice thing about it is if you have a serrated arrows on the board and they remove it for the second time, you can serrate it, and it will come back as a 3-3 at the cost of one serration counter. Yeah. Or if they try to serrate it and then block it with a Muldrifter, it will come back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean the card is is as annoying as Young Wolf is to deal with for Mono Blue Control. Stormbound Geist is difficult to deal with for a lot of other decks when it's played in Mono Blue Control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Did you mention uh, Errant Ephemeron? Uh, oh, Errant Ephemeron. Yeah. Ah, yes. Forgot about that one. That used to be a huge card, and you know what? I don't know why it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the idea is you need to tap your mana and wait, and uh, by the time something you wait for comes down, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, instead you can play a Delver. Um, Aaron Ephemerin, I used to, I used to run Aaron Ephemerin in the sideboard because it's very good in certain matchups. Okay. But I don't think it's overall, I don't think it's overall, I don't think it's, it's, it's up to snuff overall. Hmm. One thing I really like about Delver in your deck as opposed to the Fairies decks is that, um, it's going to flip a lot more often in my opinion in your deck. I, I played against Fairies a lot and... So a lot of the times they'll have Delver the entire game just standing on the ground as Mons Goblin Raiders, and uh, <laughs> I think in in your deck you have a card that not only flips more often, but you can protect a lot of the time because it's it's a one drop and you'll have mana open. Um, since you play both decks, how do you like Delver in 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 each deck? Well, the ni- the nice thing about Delver in the in the in the Delver deck. Um, you're not really relying on chance to flip it. Uh, the idea is you've got brainstorms which gain a lot of value, and you've got a lot of card draw spells. And even though you're running about 20, I guess it depends on the build, but they run around 20 to 23 creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though they run a lot of creatures, if they ever get a brainstorm in their opening hand or anywhere, they can just put back another instant to flip a Delver. So they have that going for them. And the other thing is, any one drop is good in the Delver deck because ninjas are probably their scariest card. Mm -hmm. Because ninja just... 
it's very hard to beat any any deck in Magic that's drawing two cards a turn, right? Yeah, for sure. So 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 that's what they do with Delver, and and I use Delver really for a different purpose. I use Delver because. As much as I can control the game, you need to be able to close the game out quickly because people can top deck and get out of situations. There's no such thing as something like, uh, there's no, I don't have a card like, uh, Thieving Magpie to lock them out with a Forbid, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the old cards, but I learned this from, from Cube, is a, is a counter spell that has a buyback of pitch two cards. Yeah. So you, you counter it, you pitch two cards, and then you get your Forbid back, and then, you're drawing more cards with with a thieving magpie. There's no card like that in that really works well in this deck. And and believe me, I've tried scroll I've tried scroll thief before, which is a one three that has the uh, that ability, and it's just it isn't good enough in this deck because if you're hitting them with the scroll thief, you've won the game yeah. because they don't have it because they don't have something on the ground. So win more is is pointless. So delver in this deck enables me to race a deck that I I can control and put down and slow them down and put a crimp in their plans and then race them. And I, it allows me to play a tempo game, which makes some matchups go from completely unwinnable to winnable. Okay. So not necessarily favored, but winnable, like Affinity, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, do you always want to play turn one, Delver? Uh, it depends on what they're playing, but almost always, yeah, simply because I don't have, I don't have any ter- one-drop plays that I want to play on their turn. Yeah, there's, there's no Force Spike or... Right. Or even I'm not running Force Spike. I'm not running Force Spike. My only, my only one-drop instance, I've got Piracy Charms, and I've got Ponders. And if I have Delver and Ponder, I'd rather Delver and then run a Ponder to flip the Delver. Yeah. Okay. And piracy charm is piracy charm is best against uh, infect and um, and Delver Blue and against Delver Blue I I even though it's it's not the best way to do it maybe under some circumstances I don't want to get blown out by a daze so I will drop a land on my turn and I'll play a piracy charm on my turn because tempo is what matters and then he has to drop a card on his turn okay. that's fine yeah all right. Removal. I think we kind of segued into it already. Yeah. Okay, so Piracy Charm, you always, you mostly use it as removal, right? The plus two, minus one part. Well, um, it's, it's in the deck for that reason. Um, but the nice thing about it is it's very good against Storm, and it's very good against uh, Blue-Red Post. Uh, not very good. It's very good against Storm, and it's mediocre against Blue-Red Post. It's usable against them. Like as making them discard the card? Yes. yes. Yeah. As a blue red storm player, I can say Pirates of Charm is really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you know, the ideal is, and as a blue red storm player, you can you can talk about this. And and blue red storm usually will play around it. And by playing around it, it means their storm count is restricted by one. But if they empty the warrens and have one card left, uh, once the storm trigger gets, once the storm trigger is on the stack, Pirates of Charm them. There's nothing they can do to piracy charm at that point because they can dispel it, but so what? You know, they can yeah, pyroblast it, but so what? And best case scenario, you get out a, out of their hand, you get a uh, bushwhacker. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that, that hurts. So, yeah, and that is the best. That is the best use for piracy charm against against a storm player. Oh, okay. 
good good to know. Good strategy there. Um, um, and also, there's there's the third function is not totally irrelevant, uh, which is island walk, because there's a lot of islands in the format. So it often comes down to there's a creature stall and no one can attack into the other player without worrying about what'll happen. So you can you can piracy charm one of your guys to get through. You can piracy charm one of your guys to pump its power, which is much more often used in the aggressive versions of the deck, but it gets used in, in this version too. Okay. And then Cursor Chains Narcolepsy, and I would recommend never running Narcolepsy until you already have four Curse of Chains in your deck, because although they are functionally identical, Curse of Chains is multicolored, and there is one uh, protection from monocolored creature in the format, and there are no protection from multicolored creatures in the format. Yeah, yeah, so just, just for Guardian of the Guild Pact. Yeah. Yeah, and there are there are so few protection from white creatures out there, and they're not going to be played against you. And if you do, you can piracy charm them to death because I believe it's Order of the Ebon Hand is the only one. Mm-hmm. Is the only one that gets that sees that sees play. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, serrated arrows, which every every control deck plays serrated arrows. And uh, Wizards gave everybody a, a nice little unintentional break with Serrated Arrows by having the cube drafts pay out in time spiral packs. Yeah. So uh, the, the supply of Serrated Arrows just increased tremendously. Yeah, yeah. the price went down from like eight ticks to four and a bit. Yeah, there you go. Um, and Quicksand. And 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 that's that's and if you guys have other removal spells, please let me know because um, I play them. Those are the ones in my list. Well, you name the best ones. I mean, that's for sure. Okay, so the next category is counter magic, and there are more options for counter magic in blue than probably anyone could ever consider. Uh, the the prime ones I consider are number one, far and away better than any of the rest of them is counter spell. Every deck that runs counter magic runs counter spell. There's no need to talk about it. Actually, that's not true. It's blue blue. So every blue heavy deck yes. that runs counter magic runs counter spell. Um, then there's prohibit and deprive, which are the two that I choose to go with on top of counter spell. Prohibit has the restriction of it costs a colorless and a blue, and has the restriction of only stopping a spell that costs two or less converted mana cost, unless you kick it for two mana, in which case it can stop a spell for four mana or less. Deprive has the seemingly innocuous drawback of having to return a land to your hand, but that is absolutely brutal to your board development early in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rewind, which I like a lot, actually, and sees very little play, um, but it, it costs two colorless and two blue and counters a spell and then lets you untap four lands. So it's basically free in the same sense that Snap is free, and you get the mana back as soon as the stack resolves. So if you're trying to counter an instant and they want to tap you out to play a creature, Rewind will solve that problem for you. Um, Rewind, I think, is is definitely an underrated card. Uh, next is the standard this standard uh, format counterspell of choice in Monolik, uh, Rune Snag, Miscalculation, uh, and Memory Lapse. Memory Lapse is another card that uh, I think. Actually, and I'm surprised no Delver decks play it, because it seems like it would fit very, very well in Delver. Um, it, it, it counters a spell, and it puts it on top of the opponent's library. So it basically costs them a draw step and tempo. 
So it seems like it would be a very good card for a tempo, for a tempo deck to play. Um, but Delver decks don't seem to play it, and I don't quite know why. Um, Before you continue, and, I think I can yeah. answer the question. I, I, I've actually, I, I think that the Delver decks don't play it because they have hard counters that costs as much as the uh, soft counter, which is pretty much what it is. They play, they get rid of the threat entirely. The only upside is that they get rid of a draw step. But one threat is equal to another threat. And then just True. getting rid of one threat is enough, I think. I'm going entirely out on a limb here. Well, I mean, it, it is debatable because, the, the for example, the only really hard counter spell that, that only costs two mana is counter spell. Right? Right. I mean, Prohibit has a limitation. Deprive has a big drawback, uh, depending on the deck and the situation. So, uh, you know, removing the card from, you know, just getting rid of a card, uh, even though it's not gone forever, can be a, a big thing. Especially, in, for example, in Counterspell spell Wars, where if you use that, uh, that, um, that card to counter the last Counterspell, then it doesn't matter if they get it back. You've won the war. Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I think it is debatable that that it could be used or not, but it just isn't used. I th- yeah. think it could also be an oversight by people like me who just net deck. <laughs> I, I I think that if I think someone could run it and be successful with it, I think. But yeah, I think yeah. I think the deck would have to. I mean, but again, they have spell stutter to counter, they have counter spell to counter, and then usually their only counters other than that is days. Um, when I played Delver, I used to dedicate a little bit more to counter magic. I used to run, and I'll talk about these later. I used to run Curfew as kind of a counter spell, and I used to run Intervene as a counter spell as well, because Intervene actually had some other uses. But um, the next category is the specialized counters. Uh, Force Spike. I think everybody knows what Force Spike does, but Force Spike is very good against uh, aggressive decks that run land tight um, and and want to resolve spells early, and especially when you're tapped out. Uh, Dispel which counters an instant, exclude, which counters a creature and draws you a card, which is often run in control decks, hindering touch, which is thought of as the anti-storm counter. It, it is three colorless and a blue, and it, ca- and it, it causes you, and, it's, and it has storm, and it causes you to have to pay two mana or the spell is countered. Um, and the idea is... You can use it against Storm, and you can assign one to every grape shot that they do, and they won't have the mana, and, and that'll be that. But on top of that, if you just got into a counter war with someone, you can cast Hindering Touch, and they can counter it, but then there are five more copies of the, of the spell on the, on the stack, and they're not going to have the mana to pay it. So it's really more like counter-target spell, this spell cannot be countered in a counter war. Um, if it comes down to that. But, again, not something that often you will not have six mana to counter twice. Um, Fairy Trickery, which is a hard counter like Counterspell, like Stoic Rebuttal, like Cancel, but it exiles the spell as well. And there are some spells that you really want exiled, like Death Spark and Deep Analysis and... Um, Reach, uh, like a stinkweed imp if you're playing against the e-hustle uh, red-black or red-green dredge deck. Um, and then finally there's envelop and outwit, which I think actually serve the same function. Outwit is new in Avis and Restored, and it's counter a spell that targets a player. So it's actually 
perfect against mono black control. If you needed to have a counter spell against mono black control, you would use outwit because it counters their edicts and it counters their sign in bloods. And What's they the mana go cost this one. Blue. Yeah. If if you need a counter against mono black control, I think that's that's where it shines. But I yeah, don't but... think that you're really necessarily weak against mono black control. But if mono black control were everywhere, I would have outwit somewhere. Uh, yeah, uh, me and. Uh... Well, now, friend of mine, 8686, uh, who play, both play Blue-Red Storm, we have tried some different uh, cards in the sideboard against Duress, mainly. Yeah, it counters and Duress. It, it, counters, it counters Compulsive Research. It counters Deep Analysis. Ooh, it, it, there's a lot more spells than you think of. There, there are a lot counters. more spells out there that, that target a player than you think. Yeah, most of the card draw, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah, a lot. I'll, just... I'll try that. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. <laughs> um, and then finally, there are the two that are um, the two that are the artifact ones, which is a null, which counters an artifact or an enchantment, um, which is probably situational best against, I would say, white weenie decks because it counters it counters journey to nowhere as well as razor golems as well as bone splinters, uh, splitters, mm-hmm. and um, and steel sabotage, which in has two modes, which can counter an artifact, or it can bounce an artifact uh, back to... It can return an artifact to someone's hand. Mm-hmm. Which is the spell that uh, counters a sorcery? Uh, envelop. Envelop. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's just uh, blue. Yeah. I thought that one, that one could be useful against, I guess, mono black and storm decks, maybe? Yeah. One very many sorceries. Uh, at least not the blue red one. Most of the spells are instant. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, it's yeah. right of flame, pretty much, is the ritual that is sorcery speed. Uh, I think the counter target sorcery could fill the same slot as the counter target spell that targets a player. Yeah, that's I why I have the two. I have the two written down as envelop slash outwit, and and they're yeah. useful in the same exact roles. But I think outwit oh, okay. probably would be a little more useful than than envelop now. Okay. Um, I right. run in my build. I run eight counter spells in the main deck. Um, four counter spells, two deprives, and two prohibits. I know Paul Denton runs more counter magic than that. He runs four deprives as well, and um, I think he runs one prohibit as well as an exclude. In addition to the four counter spells, maybe someone can correct me on that one. I'm not sure. He runs at least one exclude, and uh, last I saw, he had three deprives and two prohibits, but uh, I think you both change your builds, you know, like I change underwear. <laughs> yeah. We will, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's mono blue control. You have to tune it for what you face and you have to, you, you kind of, you know, things get a little bit better and they get a little bit worse and the meta shifts a little bit and you have to kind of roll with the punches. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I, I've actually thought that days would not be the worst card for a mono blue control deck because, <laughs> No one would see it coming, and it's it, it, it's good to be able to counter when you're tapped out. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is, I noticed neither of you play Days or Force Spike. So is is this because 
you're kind of more of a long-term thing and you have some creature removal, so you don't, you're not so worried about a couple of creatures yes. uh, creeping in in the first two turns. Yes, both of us have ways to deal with creatures. I have, I have Silkbind Fairies and Bounce Spells, and he has Curse of Chains and a lot of Serrated Arrows. So both of us, neither of us are nearly as scared of, of the things that Force Spike specializes in stopping, which are one-drops. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys have uh, if you guys have watched the uh, watched videos on MTGO Academy, but there's a video. A guy made a video series on uh, Stompy. What's his name? He is uh, Michael Rodzwila, and he played against a mono blue control deck that that was a very unusual build. It had like four compulsive research. It had deep analysis. It had mull drifters, and that deck was running four spikes in it because that deck was very much geared toward. It didn't have the removal, and it did have a weakness in the early game. So it, it was a different. It was a different build, and it had different needs. So it used four spike. You know. Okay. So yeah. Once again, it's all about the balancing. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about uh, prohibit. I can definitely see prohibit being very uh, convenient. In, in this in this deck, as opposed to, for example, deprive, because you have uh, quicksand, yeah. for one thing. Yeah. Um, but how about in comparison to things like mana leak, miscalculation, and rune snag? So why would why do you prefer prohibit? Well, Just because it's kind of more of a hard counter. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you think about it, mana leak versus rune snag is you're always going to go mana leak unless okay, there is a deck that I built. That, that I, I, I never really – it never really quite got off the ground. It did very well at beating things like beating control decks, but it was weak to aggro. And the idea of the deck was it had it had um, compulsive research, which is the blue faithless looting without, without flashback. It had mental note because it was before thought scour. Now it would have thought scour. And it actually had things like deep analysis. It had accumulated knowledge. It had a lot of flashback spells. And it relied on the creatures. It had it had some delvers. It had some spire golems, and it had some stitch drakes. Because the idea was you're dumping things into your graveyard, and if you're dumping things into your graveyard anyway, stitch drake is just an underpriced beater, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so in that deck, I was running. I I, can, I would consider rune snag because I would dump a lot of cards into my graveyard throughout the course of a game. But other than that, I would probably want to run mana leak. Um, but Manalik, it just I don't like not having a hard counter. I don't like like Manalik is very good in standard because standard has much more powerful cards. So in standard, if you take away someone's turn, you can do something extremely powerful on your turn, like drop a sword and put your put a sword on your Delver. In Pauper, if you cost them their turn but they get their threat down, then on your turn you can do whatever you want, and whatever you want is not going to be strong enough to to go over the top of their threat. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's why I don't like that. That's why I don't like the mana leak. I don't like those counter spells very much for Popper. Okay. Yeah. Make it makes sense. It makes total sense. I, I do see you prohibit much more than mana leak. Uh, strangely enough, there's only like one or two copies in, in the decks that run them. Uh, Mana leak? No, prohibit. Prohibit. Yeah, absolutely. Because prohibit again is is situational. I mean, you don't. If you were running nine or twelve counters, you might run three prohibits. Mm, yeah. Okay, so I think we have just one more 
Group. One more, one more group of cards, which is bounce. Yeah, and not not every not every deck needs bounce, and not every deck runs it. Um, some decks some decks will run will will go without bounce and concentrate more on removal. Personally, I like bounce because it's very flexible. Now, the nice thing about bounce is now again you have to think of synergies when you talk about bounce. Uh, Echoing truth is very good. Echoing truth can return all of their creatures. But what if you what if what if you put um, a curse of chains on one of their creatures and they drop two more of the same creature and you want to bounce it? Yeah. Now now you you just down yourself your curse of chains if you do that. But echoing truth can also do things like it can protect your creatures from re- removal. It can it can bounce a serrated arrows that you have on the board after you used your three serration counters. You bounce it and you recast it, which is backbreaking against a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as having it in your main deck will allow you to just plain win games. Game one against a Storm player. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's very little they can do about it before sideboarding. Uh, so. On that note, I play one Lava Dart main deck to counter. Yeah. The I didn't say nothing. I said very little. <laughs> <laughs> so there. <laughs> Which ones do you play, by the way? Of the I, as of right now, in my latest build, I have two Repeal in the main deck and three Echoing Truth. And the reason for the Repeal is because I've been facing a lot of Stompy lately, and I think Repeal is very good against Stompy. Uh, repeal is X and blue. Uh, return target non-land permanent to hand. Um, and you draw a card when the X is the converted monocost of the, of the permanent. The idea is their creatures are all very cheap, so repeal is not expensive. Repeal is very bad against something like um, affinity because, well, it's not very bad. It's, it doesn't hit the mirror enforcers, but it hits the carapace forgers. It hits the atogs. It hits the sun chasers, but it doesn't hit the um, somber hover guards if they're running those. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if they try to put a rancor on something, you can repeal it. If they if they if they attack you, you block. They pump. You quicksand in response, and then you bounce. If they if they do another pump in response to the quicksand, so you know you drain them of cards and you drain them of answers, and you reset the board, which is something you want. So yeah. that's why I run. That's why I run. A lot of bounce. I mean, I run five bounce spells in the main deck. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Yeah, because I think of them. I think of them as more flexible. I think of them in a lot of ways like counter spells. I mean, they're more flexible than counter spells, and they do things counter spells can't do. And against a deck like Mono Black Control, an Echoing Truth is a counter spell. If you if you if you disfigure my Delver, I Echoing Truth it. You dis, you you victim of night my Silkmine Fairy. I Echoing Truth it, and I lose I lose some board position, but we traded one for one. And you know, in some cases, it's better than that, like tendrils of corruption. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's even better. Yeah, they they tap out for that, and they they're depending on that life gain, and you don't and you deny that to them. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about mulligans. Oh yeah. Uh, what where are the what's the threshold? Um, what are the the cards that you want to see? Uh, like what's the best mix of cards? What what kind of hands the well, you know it, uh, what kind of cards? What kind of hands do you throw back? What kind of hands do you do you keep? Yeah, yeah. Where where's the line? Because that that's where it's more important, right? Like okay, it depends. It depends a lot on your opponent. 
Okay, so first, what's the perfect hand game one if you don't know who you're facing? Game one, I don't know who I'm facing. The perfect hand is two ponders, a counter spell, two islands, and a delver. Okay. If I could pick a hand, maybe a piracy charm I'd put in there too. If I could, if I could pick a hand, that would be what I would put in it. Okay, yeah, so a, a good mix of spells, search, and a, at least one threat. And a threat. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be if I could if I could if I could have my absolute dream. Um, other than that, I mean, you want you you want a mix of you want a mix of counter magic. You want selection. You want ways to draw cards. Um, multiple accumulated knowledges are very good to have together. Um, cantrips are good. So, like a repeal is good in your opening hand. I mean, the idea is you need a hand that will allow you to survive the first few turns against aggro if you don't know what you're playing against. The only problem is it's it's difficult if you don't know what you're playing against to know whether or not you should mulligan because some hands that you have can be absolutely fantastic against aggro decks and will absolutely lose you the game if you're playing against post. Like if you have oh, okay. a if you have a hand with three piracy charms in it and they're playing infect, that's fantastic. Um, and if they're post, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what about uh, land heavy? hands so let's say you get five lands against other, control other... against control i keep okay so just you have counter spells or a threat or card draw yeah so well against against it depends upon what my other spells are but i i want to make all of against a, like a mono blue control i want to make all my land drops but you know it's it's interesting because against 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 post, and we'll, we'll, we can talk about this a little bit more when we talk about matchups. But against post, you have to play the aggressor because in the long run, they will they will win in the long run if the game yeah. goes for a long time. They'll beat you, so you have to actually have pressure on them. So if you have a lot of land, that's not an ideal hand against post, and you have to consider mulliganing it. Uh, though I hate to mulligan against post, and in all honesty, when I'll talk about my sideboard strategy a little bit, um, I don't mind having so many land. So. <laughs> Yeah, it depends on the matchup in a lot of ways. But but, okay. but game one, if I have five lands in my hand, I'll almost certainly mulligan that. Game one, okay. round one. Okay. Now, okay, so here's one one more kind of mulligan-specific question. Let's assume you have two lands. Yeah. And all your other cards are the same type. So you either have just all counter spells or card draw or all threats, like, you know, all delvers and... Uh, Spire Golems. That's the uh, worst, that's the worst of those possibilities. That's the one I'm most likely to throw back. Okay, so you you, you would keep a, a hand with just card draw or a hand with yeah. just counter spells. Yes, I All would. Right. I would because card draw card draw allows you because the card draw is accumulated knowledge and ponder, right? So that allows you to filter through and get more cards. Right. All removal means you're relatively safe against aggro decks, um, and all counters means you're relatively safe against a lot of decks. Um, the only decks that you're really dead with with all counter magic is uh, affinity. Other than that, you can stop a lot of their plays until you draw out. Okay, all right. And um, I guess just basic, basic play, uh, play style. Uh, I, I guess it, it it changes really a lot on based the on the matchup. So there's no and the situation a lot yeah. too. Like like I tell you, I t- like against Delver, I I. As a rule, you don't like Spire Golem is a good a good card to think about, right? Like if you have three mana available and you have a and you have a Spire Golem in your hand, do you want to drop it now? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so. you know, how much do you need to put it down on the board that you can risk him having days? 
you know, what if he's got an active ninja and you've got no other way to deal with it? Then you've got to do it, you know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, what if you don't have okay. any more land in your hand? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Sorry to interrupt you there, but it looks like we're getting close to an hour of recording. And unfortunately, we're under a bit of a time constraint. And I would like the matchup analysis to be equally thorough. So we're just going to break this up into two parts. And we'll discuss the matchups and possibly other things in the next episode. So uh, before we finish, though, I need to make a quick announcement and a shout-out. So the announcement is that Wizard will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of MTGO. And they're going to be having a series of really cool events between the 20th of June and the 5th of July. Uh, among these are going to be 8-player and 2-player gold popper cues with Avacyn Restored Boosters as prizes. So that's uh, much better from what we usually get. And there'll be a special spotlight tournament on Saturday the 23rd of June. And this has the structure of a premiere event, but it's only going to cost 5 ticks to enter. So this is pretty awesome, and uh, I recommend checking out the Wizards page uh, for more information. I just Google MTGO what's happening and you'll find it. One other very relevant thing about this celebration is that they're going to be holding invasion draft queues. Now, these are fun and I recommend trying them out, but for Popper the important thing is that they'll bring down the prices of all expensive cards from invasion. And there are quite a few, including some of the staples from Mono Blue Control like Prohibit and Exclude. So if you own any of these, you may want to consider selling them right now. And I would definitely recommend that you look into buying all the invasion cards you need close to the end of the drafting period. Uh, that's going to be on the 5th of July. So that's about it for financial information. The shout-out I wanted to give is a shameless plug to my friend Hygiene. He's got a blog called Science of Popper, and he's got an interesting take on the whole Popper format, and he's currently running an interesting little experiment with the community to build a deck. Uh, so I, I recommend checking it out. You can find his blog on wrongwaygoback.com slash scienceofpopper, or, or just Google for Science of Popper, and you'll find it. So that's it for me. Does anyone else want to do a shameless plug? Um, I just wanted to mention that on my YouTube channel, I have a couple games posted of Mono Blue Control. It's a little bit closer to Paul Denton's list, but I think it's really cool to watch because um, I'm able to face a post deck, and I use the Curse of the Bloody Tome plan as my sideboard plan, and um, there are some games where Delver Secrets becomes a win condition and Curse of the Bloody Tome becomes a win condition, so... If anyone's interested, please check that out. That is really cool. We'll be sure to watch those. Um, okay, so any any other things? I don't have a YouTube channel to plug. I wish I did. <laughs> Me neither. Um, all right. Well, um, I think that'll be all for, for right now. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dime. Thank you. And thank you, Louv. Thank you. And a very special thanks to you, John. Thank uh, you. For bringing us all this information. Um, remember, uh, you, can, you can reach us at popperscage at gmail.com or you can leave uh, a comment in our official blog at popperscage.blogspot.ca. And you can uh, find us all in MTGO 
Uh, dime Collector is Bamboo Rush. Love is Grusbus. That's G-R-U-S-B-U-S. And John is the infamous <laughs> New Plan. <laughs> and I am Gabo Cheeto uh, in MTGO. So, uh, till next time, see y'all. As far as I've understood it, I could be completely wrong, but I think because the first time the cube draft came around, uh, the entire market of boosters got crashed pretty much. Yes. And the second time they put in time spiral because they were going to have a time spiral week anyway. Yes. So they paid well, it, time spiral. It was kind of kind of at the same time. It was at the same. They were in parallel. Like they were in parallel, and then for one week after the cube was over, they had time spiral yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that is going to be their standard memo for going with the cube. So the cube comes when the booster draft comes. The well, yeah, I think I think they actually had a policy, and I'm, 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 if I'm not mistaken, maybe I, I could be wrong about this, and maybe somebody correct me, but I thought that they were going to have the cube for the week between the paper pre-release of a new set and the online pre-release of a new set. Yeah, that's exactly what they announced. And they'll probably be... I mean, they didn't specifically state it, but I assume they're going to be uh, switching around what block the draft is from. Yes. So I, yeah, I, yeah I, I, hope they, I hope they just look at... at I mean, it, it looks like so far they went and they looked at the most expensive card that's a format staple, and they, they, had, that for, they had that format out there. So yeah, Tar- Tarmogoyf, Tarmogoyf dropped in half. Yeah, that I is mean, great news. I, uh, but I, my my point was that if they continue to do such things, that's going to mean that Popper is going to get more cheap. Gets cheaper. Well, they they need to do it for Invasion and Mirage Block because those have like the most expensive cards. Yeah, Lotus and, Metal and such. Oh well, and Tempest, I guess, and uh, maybe uh, Masters Edition. But the problem is those blocks don't actually cards that are used in the more popular formats like, like modern. modern. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I suspect that we'll only get, uh, and and I suspect that they will use it to feed cards into modern because I think yeah. they're because I think they want to push modern as their. Uh, as their format, as their eternal format of choice, yeah. and so I think they want to have cards be available for for people to play it without having to sink a lot of money into it. Yeah, I've heard that they uh, don't. They like legacy, but they'd like a cheaper format to be the most popular eternal format. Yeah, well, I, I and they want to replace legacy with modern. Yeah. Which I don't yeah. think would be horrible. One of the reasons why I actually like Popper so much is that I can build and play every deck in the format. Yeah, well, I'm with you. Uh, but you seem to be a deck builder. Uh, yeah. You, you build your decks yourself. I am not a deck builder. I am, at best, a deck tuner. But you know what? Mono Blue Control, I don't think anybody can be said to be a deck builder, especially in Pauper. I'm a deck tuner as well. Well, it seems that you could have built the deck if there wasn't one. 
whereas I usually don't even try. I just I net deck pretty much. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, yeah. I, look, believe me, I build many, many more unsuccessful decks than successful decks. So, <laughs> well, that's the creed of any deck builder, to be honest. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we can discuss this a little bit more later on. But uh, there are these other uh, unofficial ah. formats that are quite accessible. I want to talk about yes, standard popper um, and and uh, modern popper. Well, there's silver modern popper. Well, there's standard popper. There's modern silver black, which is you know just commons and uncommons. And then there's heirloom. 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 I think that's how you pronounce it. Heirloom. You, pronounce, heirloom. you don't pronounce the H. It's heirloom. Heirloom. Pretty much. Uh, which uh, just just has all the non-expensive cards. Which is a perfect format for anyone who just doesn't want to spend a lot of money. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting. So, so if something gets really in demand because it's very popular in heirloom, it can actually just get right out of the it format. Just, it gets banned immediately. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, there's literally a limit on the price of a card based on a certain store. But I'll, I, I want to officially talk about that, so I'll I'll, I'll go into that a little. Black bit and silver, black and silver sounds like to me that sounds like the yeah. most interesting format. And, awesome. and in all honesty, I probably would have would prefer to play a black and silver than than pauper if we're officially supported, because uncommons give a lot more range and a lot of, a lot of interesting things. But, yeah, that's yeah. one. That's the only one thing I've noted about pauper. And just do this quickly: that if you run out of gas with a pauper deck, there is no card pretty much that you can draw that will turn around. Your deck well, is full of generic cards that are not very powerful. That is, but that is with this deck. I, um, I I've drawn the fourth accumulated knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, I I played a lot of goblins as right. well as playing combo, and I realized that my that also realized why Mulligan is horrible with the goblins deck. Yes. But when you run out of threats and your opponent has the upper hand. You're not going to draw a magical card that puts you back on top. Uh, but, isn't, but isn't that isn't that generally just true for for aggra- for aggro strategies? Yeah, I was going to say I think that's because of your deck choice. I don't think not. Both yes and no. You're right. It affects aggro more, but I'd like to say that it affects the entire format because of the uh, limits on power that common cards have in general. I have to slightly disagree, but no, I, I, don't, I don't completely disagree with you. Um, yeah, I've, I, I've been playing some standard popper, and just just playing with uh, something like uh, grave digger and and just things that return stuff from your graveyard. It feels like like the the deck that I've been playing with has uh, always has gas. Well, not always. Sometimes it just completely runs out, but. I, I don't know. I I wouldn't really say that there there aren't ways to to you know get more cards in popper. Well, I, I just I, can't. I might be totally that. wrong. It's just a feeling I get. But as I said, I've not played many I control decks, so I. I think I think what it is. I think it's yeah. It's just a question of how much you want to dedicate to to coming back because there is you know and and the deck is dead. But I've looked on MTGO stats to just see what decks used to be played, and there used to be a deck played called Reload, which was red burn spells and blue card draw right but no one played it because it's it's better to just have burn more burn spells rather than have a card that might draw you one land and one other burn spell why do that when you can just have another burn spell 
Mm-hmm. You know, so so aggressive strategies are sort of self-limiting of ways that they can come back from being behind. Um, goblins has reach. I mean, goblins can have a fire blast, get him down to four, and then fire blast him out of the game. Fire blast is an entirely different discussion. We've had it already once in a podcast about <laughs> goblins. <laughs> ah, okay. you, you should add some. Um, oh, what's the name of that card again? Uh, it's in Abyssin Restored. It. it Makes you discard your hand and you draw two cards. Uh, yeah, dangerous wager. Dangerous wager. There's some gas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. It's not, it's not that good. It's not that good. Well, the, well, the problem with dangerous wager is if it's in your opening hand, it's a mulligan. So you have a six card hand, and then you go down to then you go down to your last card is dangerous wager, and then you discard your hand, which is nothing, and then you draw two cards. So you did all that to draw one card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not really getting that much. 